Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host, and I'd like to welcome you to another podcast, uh, part two, actually, of what we were discussing the other day, which... uh, are basically how to get liberty back in America. And and there's two central ideas uh, theme, and uh, one of them was discussed the other day, and that had to do with the Federal Reserve. And really, just to to recap, the Federal Reserve has a monopoly on the production of money uh, for the U.S., for our government. And this production of money... Uh, they they do it um, basically um, to exert their power around the world and also within the the U.S. economy, and they don't do it on the behalf of American citizens. They do it primarily uh, on behalf of the banking system and the banking cartel uh, that exists as 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 part of the Federal Reserve Act. And this is critical because this is a critical part because your standard of living is a function of the value of the money. Um, in other words, in a, in a productive economy, one that's very advanced like uh, the American economy, you get a steady increase of production and new technology um, and advancements in technology that tend to make our lives better. And not just not just with conveniences, but also with um, uh, labor-saving devices and things like that that tend to lower the cost of goods and services over time uh, relative to the supply of money. And of course, if the Federal Reserve is is always increasing the money supply, then at best, you know, the prices you pay for things stays flat. It doesn't decrease like it normally would if you had a relatively fixed money supply. So this is a huge intervention into our economy and has enormous ramifications to your standard of living, your ability to get ahead, your ability to keep what you produce as part of your your own productivity, um, as part of your own labor. And so uh, to the extent that rich people have gotten enormously rich, uh, they've been able to do so by um, leveraging the banking system to borrow against assets um, so that they can pyramid those assets into an ever-growing uh, base of uh, income. Uh, and, and obviously, if you're working for someone, your income is is more or less fixed around um, uh, or, or limited to what you yourself can do. And if I buy... You know, if I buy a business and then I buy another business and I buy another business and I begin to pyramid all that income on top of each other, I can I can get enormously wealthy. And I do that by borrowing money against the banking system, against the dollar. In effect, shorting the dollar uh, and leveraging the banking system to buy an ever-increasing number of income-earning assets. And that's how the rich get richer. So... Today, we're going to talk, in part two, we're going to talk about um, something that happens uh, in the lawmaking body 
which is the United States Congress, and uh, more specifically, the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate. And there's a there's something that happens there that is also making you uh, poor or your standard of living go down over time, um, and 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 causing you to support an ever increasing uh, burdensome uh, group of people that uh, basically feed at the trough, at the public trough, at the expense of the rest of us. Now, at this point, some of you might already know what I'm going to talk about because this is not the first time I've spoken about this, but I'm going to give you what's different about this part two segment is I'm going to give you the underlying principle, but then we're going to talk about some examples and we're going to talk about, um, we're going to uh, talk specifically about the wrong way to get control um, of this particular ill that exists in our society. And, and, and some of you may disagree. You may, you may say, no, that's a great idea, Seth. And so, uh, and, and that's fine. I mean, I, I don't think it would hurt to do uh, this uh, anti-corruption uh, law that I'm going to mention here in a little while. But it certainly, um, it certainly won't solve the problem. Um, because at the, at the end of the day, um, uh, Congress and lobbyists, um, these groups work together uh, to, uh, to seek rent um, from the American people, which is another way to say, uh, another way to say that is they plunder, they, they attempt to plunder the American population by colluding uh, in with the with the, the the legislative process and uh, the the influencers uh, that exist out there to to direct the legislative process in any particular direction to advantage uh, one group or a corporation um, at the expense of consumers or at the expense of just the uh, population at large and this is the this is a concept we've talked about before called uh, um, uh, concentrated benefits and diffuse cost. I, I kind of drew a blank there for a, se- for a second. So, in other words, I can spend enormous sums of money um, on lobbyists and influencing legislation because um, the the benefits are so um, concentrated back to me as an individual corporation or an individual for that matter. And so, the mechanism. Uh, by which this happens is is the law, and we've talked about this before. Frederick Bastiat um, wrote back in 1857 his famous essay, "The Law," and he explained how this works. He explained that the purpose of the law is to protect liberty and property, and any time you you operate outside of that particular goal, you get what he called a perversion of the law. And that perversion of the law generally leads to two, one of two different outcomes. One is the few plunder the many. So think of, think of like the elite or the political class plundering everybody, right? Uh, and then, and then a, a more, um, a more, oh, I don't know, a, a larger scale version of that is, is everybody plunders everybody. Okay, and so. <clears throat> That's, that's uh, the mechanism um, that the government uses to fleece uh, Americans and, and steal from their, their productivity. 
And of course, this impacts your standard of living. This impacts your ability to save. This impacts your ability to uh, spend your own money because uh, you're constantly being crowded out by the expense of the government. Uh, they're needing more and more taxes, either now or in the future, to, uh, to support this ever-increasing load on society. And so we're going to start off by uh, kind of evaluating, listening to this uh, little program uh, about this anti-corruption law. And this is basically, uh, I, I kind of categorize this as a, as a Bernie Sanders kind of strategy. Let's use government to constrain government. And, uh, you know, that's, um, that's uh, not uh, exactly workable. Um, because uh, government uh, is, is controlled by man and it can't be constrained. Now, what I'm talking about is distinct in that it, it is structural in nature. In other words, we would, you would have to pass an amendment to the Constitution that said, Congress shall make no law that doesn't protect liberty and property. And it, maybe it's more complicated wording than that to get both sides, you know, of the um, of the argument. But it would be something like that. It would be structural. And then, obviously, if Congress did pass a law that uh, in, impeded on uh, liberty or property, uh, then it would it should be a pretty easy um, case to make in front of the Supreme Court and have them strike it down. Or the states could just ignore it. They could just say. We disagree. We don't think that's a legitimate law because it it uh, it impinges on uh, individuals' liberty and property, or or a group's liberty and or property. So, so let's uh, let's listen to a few clips about this uh, anti-corruption law and, and comment on each section as we go. So here's a crazy thing. Almost everyone I know agrees that the government of the United States. The government of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth is completely broken. And for most of us, it's really obvious why. Lobbyists write our laws, politicians are bought, and corruption is infecting every issue that's close to our hearts. But what's even crazier is that we've all convinced ourselves that there's nothing we can do about it. And that is one of the biggest and most dangerous lies in American politics. The problem isn't that corrupt politicians are breaking the law. The problem is that we don't even have laws for them to break. Right now, corruption is legal in America, and that is something we can fix. So for me, this comes under the category of treating the symptom, okay? So everybody knows what the problem is. The problem is lobbyists and congressional leaders, they get together and they create quote-unquote laws that benefit somebody in the economy at the expense of everybody else, okay? And when I say somebody, it could be a corporation or it could be an individual, but it, it's somebody that's uh, investing lobbyist uh, dollars into the legislative process so that they can advantage themselves or, the, or their corporation in the marketplace. Um, in other words, create an intervention into the market that somehow or another makes you pay more for their good or service or makes makes a competitive good or service completely illegal i mean that's that happens too so he the, the problem is well stated and he also uh, makes the case that everybody agrees that this is a problem and i think that's probably true 
the 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 bone I have to pick with this particular solution is that it'll it'll never work. It's just another way. It, anytime you layer just another law on to something, it, it's just another way that uh, they the, the politicians can create another toll booth where they can extract their pound of flesh. The 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 tax system and the legal system are designed for rent seeking. That's that's what they're there for. And so creating more laws um, or creating a, a larger tax code, all that does is give them more, more ways to extract um, money for the economy for themselves uh, in the way of um, uh, campaign contributions and or for their constituents, i.e. lobbyists that, that are paying for those campaign contributions. Here's exactly how we do it. Right now, it's perfectly legal for special interests to hand huge checks to the members of Congress who regulate them. It's perfectly legal for those same members of Congress to pass laws to help out lobbyists who offer them a cushy job when they leave office. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. From million-dollar bundlers to the threat of a super PAC smear campaign, there are literally dozens of perfectly legal ways to buy a public official. But that makes the solution pretty obvious. Make corruption illegal. All of it. So let me be clear. I mean, I'm all for making corruption illegal. I just don't think it'll fully solve the problem. I think they'll find a way around it or the, the law will be interpreted in such a way that, you know, this is not illegal. Or maybe maybe just, you know, politicians, there's, we don't have a real good track record of prosecuting politicians anyway. We don't, we don't even have a good track record of impeaching politicians or judges for that matter. So I, I don't know that the that the legal system per se is a good way to handle this particular problem. Could it hurt? No, it's not likely to hurt. But um, to me, if we're gonna if we're gonna try to coalesce around certain ideas, then then we should we should at least debate uh, different ideas and try to coalesce around one or two that that would actually solve the problem. And so. Um, again, I'm not opposed to this. It's just, I don't think it would actually solve the problem. And that is where the American Anti-Corruption Act comes in. It introduces a strict set of ethical standards. So if you're an elected official on, say, the Senate Banking Committee, you can't take donations from banking lobbyists. It mandates full transparency, so the American people know exactly who's trying to buy our elected officials. It changes how elections are funded, so clean candidates can win without selling out to special interests. And it does all of this while protecting the people's right to free speech. That's because the act was written by top constitutional scholars, conservative and liberal alike, to stand up to the toughest scrutiny. You can read the full text of the act at anticorruptionact.org. And I would encourage you to do that. I mean, go to anticorruption.org and, and read the act. Read the, the strategy and, and see if it's something uh, that you want to support or get involved with. But what I want to focus on is, is you know, the structural part of the lawmaking system in America. And the structural part is, um, you know, what, what is the purpose of the law? I mean, that's that, you're getting down to the real foundation at that point. And as you know, Bastiat said the purpose of the law is to protect liberty and property. So if you, if you simply put the guardrails around the lawmaking body and said, 
with an amendment or something like that, something structural in the Constitution. Um, and I mean, cover different scenarios and, and really box it in tight, you know, so that, that there's no there's no room for interpretation. Okay, then then when you have a, a an, an amendment like that, there literally then is no way for Congress to pass a law that would would in, encroach on someone's liberty or encroach on someone's property. That would be the maximum amount of freedom uh, that we could offer America. That in conjunction with the elimination of the Federal Reserve and some sort of hard currency standard, that would give us maximum amount of liberty in America. And speaking of the Constitution, let's talk about a little Supreme Court ruling called Citizens United. Here's the thing. While a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United would help clamp down on those shady groups with names like Americans for Freedom and Jobs and More Freedom, it wouldn't fix any of the problems we talked about before. You could pass that amendment tomorrow and the bribery, the extortion, the conflicts of interest, all of it would still be legal. But in a weird way, that's actually good news because it means we can solve a huge part of this problem with a plain old law. Yeah, I agree with them here. Um you know, if you got rid of Citizens United or had an amendment to overturn Citizens United, it wouldn't it wouldn't solve the problem. Um, Citizens United, by the way, is is a is a, a law that was um, it was it was challenged before the Supreme Court. It's the it's the one that people talk about from time to time that says that corporations um, are people, and people obviously have free speech. So corporations can put together these huge uh, PAC, political action committees, and donate to politicians. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty liberal um, version of free speech, but free speech nonetheless. That's what he's talking about. So what he's going to talk about here next is, you know, if we could have a, um, uh, basically a, a ballot initiative. So he's, he's going to propose that, the way you the way you work into this situation is you have a series of ballot initiatives across the country. We can go around Congress using a little something called the ballot initiative process. It lets citizens pass laws ourselves, no politicians required. All we have to do is gather enough signatures, put anti-corruption acts up to a simple public vote, and we can start fixing the corrupt system right at home. Here's our plan in five steps. First, we'll need a law to pass, one that you know, actually fixes things. Okay, Anti-Corruption Act. Check. Next, we need to bring conservatives and progressives together and get organized. It's the only way to build enough power to defeat the politically entrenched and well-funded opposition. We're in good shape there, though, because everyone already agrees we need to fix our corrupt system. In fact, local Tea Partiers and progressive activists actually teamed up to pass America's first Anti-Corruption Act in 2014 and the movement has racked up even more victories since. There are more than 22,000 cities in America where we can use the ballot initiative process to pass locally tailored anti-corruption acts. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, this is going to be really hard to do. I mean, we're going to have to do this in all these different uh, counties and states and slowly work our way up. This could take 50 years. Well, that's, that's true. I mean, it could. Uh, but so could the solution I'm offering. I mean, it could take a, a long time to uh, to get going. The, the thing, and of course, everybody likes their own solution, right? But the thing that makes 
um, the solution that I'm trying to promote, uh, I think better is it's very simple to explain to people that Congress passes laws that do things other than protect your liberty and property. And when they do that, it makes you poor. It takes money from you that it otherwise wouldn't be able to take. And it does so to benefit somebody else. Like, for example, and I like Elon Musk, but in the early days of Tesla, there was like a $25,000 tax credit that every single buyer of a Tesla got. Well, I mean, that's ha that has to be paid by somebody. See how this works? By taking the fight to the states, we can fix Congress from the outside. And when these new representatives get to Congress, free from dependence on special interests, they'll be free to vote for and pass the American Anti-Corruption Act at the federal level to fix this problem for good. So that's the plan. And 500,000 represent us members couldn't agree more. So that's the plan, but it, it takes, it's going to take a lot of organizing, um, a lot of uh, law passing. It's just, there, there's a lot to do there. Um, the thing I'm talking about doing, and, and let me just say this, you know, a convention of the states is, uh, not guaranteed to protect our liberty. Uh, and there's a lot of people that say that. So that's, that's a potential flaw in, in this idea that I have, but at least it's a lot easier to communicate. And if you, a lot of times, if you can just get enough resonance going with a particular idea uh it doesn't take a lot of grassroots efforts it just takes a lot of people talking about it and then you know certain key people pick up on it start talking about it on a national scale and next thing you know it, it's something that everybody knows about and it's and it's embedded in the next political cycle so to me the 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 idea is simple the the idea is congressmen and senators are not uh, disciplined enough uh, or statesman-like enough to protect our liberty and property. So structurally, we take away their ability to impinge on our liberty and property. That's, that's what this essentially does. And so if you have a convention of the states, and so there's a couple of ways a convention of the states can come about. One is Congress can initiate uh, a convention um, and, and propose amendments, which I do not recommend. The other way is if, uh, if a, a two-thirds majority, is it two-thirds or three-quarters? I can't remember, but it says in the Constitution uh, how many states have to come together and call for a convention. And then your congressional people are not invited to that. Okay, There are then representatives of the state that are uh, delegates to that convention, and people like Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders are not allowed to come. And in such a convention, you could propose an amendment to the Constitution that took away the ability for Congress to pass laws that don't protect liberty and property. Now, it would have to be carefully worded. It would have to be crafted uh, based on what we know how the Supreme Court operates today and how they find new powers in every little word of the Constitution. So it's it's not without risk but uh the the payoff could be tremendous and it really just stems from the idea that uh the purpose of the law is to protect liberty and property 
And to contrast that, we have, we have Congress up there today passing laws for all kinds of things, okay? All kinds of ideas and harebrained schemes uh, to line the pockets of their constituents at our expense. I mean, we see this with uh, the COVID stuff. I mean, Pfizer and Moderna are getting absolutely filthy rich. They're still trying to pass laws through Congress now to expand COVID uh, shots uh, to uh, to countries outside of the United States. And, of course, you know, a bunch of the congressmen are pushing back on that. But there's no guarantee that that's going to fail. So right now what I want to do is I want to switch gears. and I want to move to uh, start with kind of a story, okay? So there's a firehouse in a place called Shelby, Ohio. And there's a, there's a, it's called the, this firehouse has something called the Livermore Centennial Bulb. This bulb has been burning continuously since 1901. Okay. That is a long time for a light bulb to be burning. And this light bulb was originally manufactured by a company called Shelby Electric Works in Shelby, Ohio. And the light bulb is, is obviously made in a superior way, right? It's, 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 uh, it's lasting many thousands of hours. And so the question becomes, what, what happened, right? Because we, we know light bulbs don't last that long today. In fact, uh, the incandescent light bulb before uh, Congress banned it in 2007 uh, we were always having to replace those, right? But the good news is they were only about 40 cents a piece. So it wasn't a huge financial burden to replace these light bulbs as often as we were. But there was a, you know, the, the, the story was, the story is, is there was a cartel created, okay? And in this cartel, they limited the life of the light bulb, okay? This was early on. Now, because of World War II and, you know, World War One initially, and then World War Two later, this cartel kind of fell apart. Um, really, in the 1930s, but later on, some of these companies, and primarily General Electric Corporation, lobbied the U.S. government to ban the incandescent light bulb. Now, you might be wondering, well, why would they do that? Well, they did it to advantage themselves in the marketplace and to get more money for consume, from consumers than they otherwise would if they had to compete in the market. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this off by playing some uh, clips from uh, Reason Magazine. Nick Gillespie tells a little bit of this story. And then I'm going to fill in the blanks uh, for you so that you can see how this works and how these companies use... Uh, the lawmaking body of the United States government to basically fleece us and get get money out of us and advantage uh, themselves against their competitors and so on and so forth. The 2007 energy bill, enthusiastically signed by then-President George W. Bush, effectively killed incandescent light bulbs via energy efficiency mandates. So this ban was signed in 2007 by George W. Bush, and, uh, of course, Congress passed the ban. They passed the law that banned the incandescent light bulb. Now, the question is, and, and the mechanism they used to do this was, was uh, efficiency standards. Now, the question is, 
where did the efficiency standards came from, come from? Who was lobbying Congress for those efficiency standards? Was it you? Was it me? I, I, don't, I don't remember doing that. I'm pretty sure nobody in my family did that. I'm pretty sure nobody that I know was involved in that. So what, the, the, just to spoil the secret, the company involved in that was General Electric Corporation. And they did this by lobbying Congress. They basically paid their lobbyists to go in there and convince Congress to write a law around efficiency standards that would effectively make illegal the incandescent light bulb. Now, the question is why? Okay, why would they do this? And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. 175 watt bulbs were phased out in previous years and now cheap 60 and 40 watt light bulbs, once the very symbol of a good idea, are verboten in the land of the free. Before the incandescent bulbs go dark for good, it's worth shining a light on the band's cause. It was pushed by light bulb makers eager to upsell customers on longer lasting and much more expensive halogen, compact fluorescent, and LED lighting. And there it is. So these companies didn't they weren't okay with just coming out with a compact fluorescent and marketing it to the public, putting it on the shelves, giving us a choice. No, 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 no. They had to take away the other side of the choice because there's no way we would buy a $4.50 light bulb when a $0.40 light bulb would do just fine. And, of course, they know this, and that's why they did it. And uh, the, the really bad thing about uh, what GE did, though, is they, they also, at the same time, closed uh, two factories here in the United States that made incandescent light bulbs while opening a compact fluorescent light bulb in China, uh, factory in China. So they, you know, some people got hit with kind of a double whammy, right? They lost their job. The factory, the the town that the factories were located in, lost their factory. Uh, China got a modern factory with uh, uh, compact fluorescent light bulbs, and GE got to sell a bulb that was worth, you know, that was cost. Uh, well, I don't know what it cost, but they sold it for ten times more than what they were selling the incandescent light bulb for. So this is this is a way that corporations use the legal system namely the lawmaking body in, in the United States Congress of, uh, of the U.S. government, um, to extract more of your money, okay, which makes you poor. And so this is a huge problem, and this is, this is the problem that I'm trying to um, convince people is worth sharing and talking about with their friends and family members so that we can spread this information and help people understand, you know, what is happening? Why do you feel poor? You know, why do you feel like you can't afford everything? Why do you feel like there's more month than there is money in each month? I mean, these are all these things kind of add up. Uh, of course, the Federal Reserve is a huge portion of that, a huge big part of that with the inflation tax, the hidden tax. But this is a big part of it, too. And the part that really irritates me about this this particular function of our government is it enriches people that don't deserve to be rich. I mean, if you build a better mousetrap and you go market it and you sell it, then you deserve to be rich. But if you're lobbying the U.S. government uh, to pave the way for you, 
uh, you don't deserve you don't deserve to be rich. Not in America, you don't. And so this is, in my mind, especially egregious and um, and reprehensible. And so I think it, and it's easy to understand. I think it's easy to explain, easy to understand. So let's uh, let's hear what Nick Gillespie has to say next, and uh, we'll wrap this up here in a minute. When customers balked at paying more for home lighting, General Electric, Sylvania, and Philips did what corporate BMS do all the time. They turned to the government for regulations that rigged the market in their favor. So when you throw out that last 40 cent, 40 watt light bulb, remember that you're not just tossing out a piece of history. You're also throwing out a piece of the free market. And this, of course, is one of the reasons capitalism gets such a bad rap, right? It's, it's crony capitalism. It's big government getting together with big corporations to fleece Americans, okay? This is not capitalism. This is fascism. This is what Italy was doing um, in the run-up to World War II. This is, this is strictly speaking fascism. This is when government and businesses get together and create kind of a, uh, an, an elite class of people uh, at the expense of the masses. This is what uh, Frederick Bastiat called the few plundering the many. Now, the, the few plundering the many, I mean, this was mercantilism. There's a lot of things that were like this, okay? Uh, when, when people first came over from uh, Europe, you know, you might, you might get uh, granted the uh, exclusive rights to manage the port. That was called mercantilism. But it's, it's very similar. You know, the king says, you're the sole person to manage this port. And, of course, you take a fee on everything that goes in and out of the port, and you're rich. But this is not, this is not uniquely American. This is, um, it's more European in style. It's more socialism in style. It's, it's, not, um, it's not uniquely American. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't stand for it. We shouldn't have it as part of our American system. And I think it's easy to get rid of. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's easy to get rid of or not. It's easy to share this idea. It's easy to explain and have people understand it. And the thing about it is, to me, people that use the government to their benefit at the expense of others in the country are, are the most evil type of people in our country. And they don't deserve to be rich. They don't deserve to, to have these fabulous lifestyles. They deserve to rise uh, to whatever level they can, just like you do, the guy who doesn't have a connection in Washington, D.C. You know, this makes me, it reminds me of Atlas Shrugged, you know, and I don't know if a lot of you have read Atlas Shrugged or watched the movie but at least go watch the movie. I think it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's, it's, it's not a great movie. It's not a great production, but the story is great. And it, it's basically this, right? If you have a guy in Washington, then you can game the system and you can become wealthy. But if you don't have a guy in Washington, it's a struggle for you. You're, you're, you're toiling in the dirt. You know? You're using a hand plow, basically. And this is, um, this is why uh, Bastiat's insight is so powerful. And liberty and property are such simple ideas, you know. Um, but a lot of our lawmaking process has been disconnected from liberty and property. 
and we need to reconnect those. And so, you know, when you when you talk to your friends and family members about you know the kind of the problems we have in in our government, make sure you mention this problem. Make sure you mention the Federal Reserve problem. Listen to this podcast several times if you have to to bone up on uh, these these uh, these details. And go look for other examples. There's there's thousands of examples. Okay, healthcare is an example. One of the big examples you got right now is all this renewable energy stuff. So there there are thousands and thousands of examples of this, and uh, they're just they're just waiting for someone like you to point them out to people so that they can see it because most people don't see this. So look if you've like if you like today's program, share it with somebody. I think I think part one and two of this subject, how to get liberty back in America, are probably two of the most important podcasts that I've done thus far. And I hope that you agree and we'll go share this uh, to your friends and family, somebody you like, somebody you don't like, uh, somebody that uh, you know has a different ideology than you. Because to me, this is not about Republican or Democrat. Okay, This is about all of us. Everybody buys light bulbs. Okay, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. So this is affecting both parties uh, and people in both parties. And it's making people in both parties poor. Uh, every year that goes by, these are the types of things that are making us poor. Uh, Congress's ability to pass laws that uh, separate us from our liberty, our economic liberty, and our property, and, uh, and the use of the Federal Reserve to separate us from uh, the, the, the ability to save money without having to put it in risky things like the stock market and whatnot. So if you like these ideas, share them. Please share the show with somebody else. Uh, come, keep coming back in and listening yourself. Uh, eventually, you know, we'll build up a bigger and bigger and bigger audience and more and more people will be listening. All right. Until next time, who gets to decide? <music>